definitely a, an amen to that. Uh, thank you. We're going to read some uh, scripture and then we're going to have some prayer time. There are a variety of translations out that you can read from. And every now and then it's good to read something different translation just to see the scripture slightly different. Now, when I study to prepare a Bible study or a sermon, I always go back to my favorite, the one that I've learned for years, NIV. Um, but I want to read the message, chapter 9 of Hebrews, in the message, because it gives a, a very good picture about what we're going to be studying in a few moments. So let me read that for you. Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 1. That the first plan contained directions for worship and a specifically designed place of worship. A large outer tent was set up. The lampstand, the table, the bread of presence was placed in it. This was called the holy place. Then a curtain was stretched and behind it a smaller inside tent was set up. This was called the holy of holies. It was placed and in it, it was placed the gold incense altar and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant, which contained the gold urn of manna, Aaron's rod, the covenant tablets, and, and the angel-winged shadow mercy seat. But we did not have time to comment on these now. After this was set up, the priests went about their duties in the large tent, and only the high priest entered the small inside tent, and then only once a year, offering a blood sacrifice for his own sins, and people's accumulated sins. This was the Holy Spirit way of showing that with a visible parable that as long as the large tent stood, people could, could not walk in on God. Under the system, gifts and sacrifice was really, could not get to the heart of the matter. But it could not deal with the consequences of the, uh, of sin of people, but <clears throat> as limited to matters of ritual and behavior. It is essential a temporary arrangement until a complete overhaul could be made. But when the Messiah arrived, the high priest of superior things of this new covenant, he bypassed the old tent and his trappings in the created world and went straight into heaven's tent, the true holy place. And once and for all, he also bypassed the sacrifice consisting of goats and calf blood. Instead, using his own blood as the price to set free once and for all, if the animal blood and the other rituals of purifications were effective in cleaning up certain matters of our religion and behavior, think how much more the blood of Christ cleanses us our whole lives inside and out. Through the Spirit, Christ offers himself as an unblemished sacrifice, freeing us from all the dead-end efforts to make ourselves respectable so that we can live out for God. Like a will that comes effective when somebody dies, the new covenant was put in action at Jesus' death. His death marked the transition from the old plan to the new plan, canceling out the old obligations and accompany sins, and summons the heirs to receive the internal inheritance that was promised them. He brought together God and his people in a new way. Even the first plan required a death to set it in motion. After Moses had read all the terms of the 
plan of the law, God's will, he took the blood of the sacrificed animals and in a solemn ritual sprinkled the documents and the people who were its beneficiary. And then he attests to vitality with the words, this is the blood of the covenant commanded by God. He did the same thing with the place of worship and its furniture. God said to the people, this is the blood of the covenant God has established with us. Practically everything in a will hinges on a death. That's why blood, the evidence of death, is used so much in our tradition, especially in regards to forgiveness of sin. That accounts for the promise of of blood and death and all these secondary practices that points to the reality of heaven. It also accounts for why, when the real thing takes place, these animal sacrifices are not needed anymore. Having served its purpose, for Christ did not enter the earthly version of the holy place, he entered the place itself and offered himself to God as a sacrifice for our sin, He does not do this every year as the high priest did under the old plan with blood that was not their own. He would have, if if that had been the case, he would have had to sacrifice himself repeatedly through the course of history. But instead, he sacrificed himself once and for all, summing up all the other sacrifice in this sacrifice of himself, the final solution of sin. Everyone has to die once, but then faces the consequences. Christ's death was also a one-time event, but it was also a sacrifice that took care of our sin forever. And so when he next appears, the outcome of those eagerly to greet him is salvation. Let us join our hearts in prayer. Father, as we read scripture and we see and we have studied over the last few weeks the tabernacle and all the elements in there and the preciseness that you have called a order that you told Moses and the priests to follow was just temporary. It was to set the stage for what we're going to experience in Christ. Father, we thank you for Christ. Who is the author and finisher of our faith? Who is the the great Messiah, who has fulfilled every requirement of the sacrifice to give us cleansing of our soul, to be cleansed, pure, and righteous. Father, we then allow, you allow us into your presence. No longer do we have to do like the priest that would have to go through the ritual of every time cleaning before they could enter your holy but we are allowed to enter every moment of every day in your presence. And we worship you, Father. We join in with the heavenly host to proclaim you and you alone are worthy of praise. We praise you for Jesus. For without him, we would still be lost, forever separated from you. We would never be able to enjoy your presence. And we praise you, Father. We ask that you continue to speak through us as we look at your word in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Today, um, I've been asked by Pastor Frank, who's on vacation in the Outer Banks with his family, to fill in for him. So uh, I've had a chance to prepare the sermon. um, And this time, 
a true confession. This time I have actually created slides for you guys to watch. Um, yay. <laughs> okay, they're really, really simple. This is only about the third or fourth time I've done slides on PowerPoint, so I'm sort of a learning curve. So um, in my job, I don't really have to worry a lot about PowerPoint slides. So, um, But it does give us a visual representation of what we're going to study today. Um, the Bronze Basin. Uh, we're going to turn to ex- Exodus chapter 30. We're going to look at verse 17 through 21. Um, this is the tabernacle that we have been studying the last few days. We have worked off the burnt offering um, last week. Pastor Frank has done. Um, today we're going to do the bronze laver or the wash basin. Um, in the, the holies, there is the gold lampstand, the, art, uh, the arch of incense. That's misspelled. Okay. That was not my slide. <laughs> and then the table of showbread, and then the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. Um, it's to help us to understand that Christ embodies each of those elements. And today we're going to look at that uh, raisin law. Uh, now here's the passage. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Moses, Make a bronze basin with a bronze stand for washing. Place it between the tent of the meeting and the altar. Put water in it. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. Whenever they enter the tent of the meeting, they shall wash with water so that they will not die. Also, when they approach the altar to minister by presenting a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash their hands and feet so that they will not die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants for generations to come. We find also in Exodus chapter 40 um, how Moses did what he was supposed to do. Uh, in verse 7 it says, um, Place the basin between the tent and the meeting and the altar and put water it. Set up the courtyard around it. Put the curtains at the entrance of the courtyard. Uh, we see in verse 30, that Moses did everything that God called him, and he placed the basin between the tent of the meeting and the altar and put water in it. And Moses and Aaron and his sons used it to wash their hands and feet. They wash whenever they enter the tent of meeting or approach the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. And then at the end of verse 33, it says, And Moses finished the work. So God gave Moses all sorts of things to do. He did exactly what he needed to do, and it made the difference as they now could worship God. Now, uh, Aaron and his sons are the, are the priests to minister. And so many times um, they would have to enter into the holies to restock the incense, to switch out the bread, to do priestly duties. Um, and when we look at the um, brazen laver or the wash basin is a very basic thing. In fact, there's nothing that describes how tall or big or small it is, unlike the altar that we studied last week, or unlike the other things that God demanded a precise creation. He just says, I want a wash basin and a stand. And now there could be a variety of things, but it's basically something like that, just to hold water. 
It's the second thing that you see as you entered into the courtyard of, of the tabernacle. Um, so <clears throat> what was it made of? It was basically made of bronze. It was interesting, out of Exodus 38:8, we find out who gave the material for that. It was the ladies that were ministering at the tabernacle entrance. They gave their metal mirrors. They gave all that so that it could be used to create a basin in the, for the priest to use in the art of worship to go so that they could be cleansed ceremonially to go into the presence of God. Um, and that was really the purpose. The purpose was to hold water. It was to symbolize purity for the priest. It was to symbolize God's holiness. Um, it was in between the altar of the, um, for sacrifice and the tent so that the priest could clean themselves to get ready to go in to the presence of God. The washing of the priest's hands and feet were done before they could do their duty. It was mandatory to do that, um, such as lighting the lamps and incense and the bread and such like that. Washing was a symbol of respect for the holiness of God. Twice, the Lord told Moses and his people, there's a consequence to them if they did not do exactly they were, what they were supposed to do. In Levit- Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, two of Aaron's sons took the, their censer and put fire in them and added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So the fire came out from the presence of the Lord, consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses then said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke of, of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will be proved holy in sight of all people. There's consequences. And so the priests understood that, especially after that effect where two of Aaron's sons perished because they did not follow the rules. They did not cleanse themselves appropriately. And God said, there is an act, there's a consequences to that action. Now, the overall message of this wash basin is really sanctification. It's about being pure, clean, holy, not only physically, but also spiritually, and washing away that which is dirty. We experience that in our lives when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. That sanctification, that washing of us cleanse pure, righteous, happens when we accept Christ. Instantly fulfilling the ministry of the bronze wash basin for each believer. But it doesn't stop there. It's an ongoing process that is intended to extend into the Christian's life. And you ask, well, why is that needed? Why do we have to worry about that? We're dealing with the holiness of God. And God had some specific things about holiness and how he responded. In Psalms chapter 5, verse 4 to 6, he said, For you are a God who is, pleased, who is not pleased with... Let me, let me try that again. Okay. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. For you, evil people, are not welcome. The arrogance cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell a lie. The bloodthirsty and deceitful, you, Lord, detest. 
Psalms 96, 8 and 9 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his court. Worship the Lord in splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all you earth. Holiness to God mattered. He is a holy, righteous God. We see throughout Scripture as he describes himself who he is. His nature. He cannot have sin or evil before him. We could, we could never go without Christ into his presence. There is a passage out of Isaiah. Flip over to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. This is a classic passage that we all go back to to understand the, what holiness is. Um, and it says, in the, uh, starting in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphims, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their face, and two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, their doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Verse 5, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphims flew to me with a live coal in his hands, which he has taken with the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. We see in that passage in a very small glimpse that Isaiah had a glimpse of holiness and he realized quickly that he was defied. He was dirty. He was unclean to stand in the presence. And so what did God do? He provided a method to cleanse Isaiah so he could stay in his presence. We also see another example in Revelation chapter 4. We won't go there, um, but John describes what he saw and the actions there. Just like the priest that could enter the tent of the meeting to do his duty for God daily, they had to go through it, the cycle of cleansing themselves daily through the ritual of washing themselves to be in God's presence. We as believers in Christ no longer have to do that daily. For once it's been done by Christ in our life, we are done. We don't have to go through the ritual cleaning of every time. We can come into his presence like we are, into his presence to worship him. For Christ has caused that sin to be cleansed. We are no longer sinful. We are cleansed, pure, and clean. For us, we rely upon Christ who has taken that role, the agent of purity for us, and service to be in God's presence. It's been done once for all, not temporary. Not like the priests in the Old Testament had to do it every time they went into the tent. Christ has cleansed me, has cleansed you once for all. That means we can come into the presence of God anytime, anywhere, Every day, every moment, we can walk into the presence of God and praise him, to worship him, to be in his presence. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to, the, to God with sincere heart and with full assurance what faith brings. For having our hearts sprinkled to be cleansed us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. That says it all. Christ has fulfilled that. It's no longer where we have to be concerned. And no longer is we isolated. No longer are we outside of his presence. All of us can boldly go into his presence. And that's, and that's why Christ came to give us the opportunity to come into his presence. Now, when we look at the tabernacle again, you'll see that the outer courtyard, you see the items that we are talking about. We also see underneath there, in parentheses, an association to it. The brazen altar to the cross and the blood. The brazen lever for sanctification. The table of showbread for the word of God. The altar of incense for praise and worship. The altar art of covenant, the Father's presence, the golden candlestick, the Holy Spirit, the holy place, the truth, the holy of holies, life, the veil that Christ separated has been taken away. It helps to see in a glimpse of what it's like. Now, a commercial break here. Um, there, Next week we're having the tabernacle, a representation of that set up in the... Fellowship Hall. Uh, the ladies will have a Saturday evening event with it. During Sunday school hour, we're going to recycle a lot of our church members and classes through that to help visualize what we're talking about. You can always see a picture, but to actually walk through a representation of the tent and the tent of holy and holies. And, and to see some of these items helps to visualize and crystallize what Christ is talking about when he says your sins are washed away. We want to encourage you to do that. Team Kid uh, next Wednesday will have a chance to go through that. And so we want to open that up to everybody to come and experience for a few moments a visualization of what we're talking about as a tabernacle. But when you stop to realize that we have access, permanent open-end access to go into the presence of God who is holy, righteous, sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the truth, we have a chance to enter his presence and worship him because of what Christ has done. Second Corinthians says this, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfectly holiness out of the reverence of God. One of my favorite verses of 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah for that. That's the only way we get in. There's no other way. And when you stop to realize that there are so many that do not understand that we encounter 
Romans chapter 6, verses 18 through 20 says, You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example of everyday life because of your human limitations. Amen for that. Just as you have offered yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourself as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. And when you are slaves to sin, you're free from the control of righteousness. When you are slaves to the sin, you are free from the control of righteousness. We have realized righteousness is what we want. There's great joy in the presence of God. How many times have you gone into prayer and you have almost felt literally brought into a physical place of worship because you're in the presence of God? There's a joy about that. There is excitement. There is just contentment in that. As you realize you have been ushered into the presence of God and you can stand there, not saying a word, you can just experience that. You can offer up prayers. You can lay them at his feet. You can offer up worship and offer yourselves up to him. Is that an exciting moment? Jude, uh, in the book of Jude, since it's a very small book, verses 24 and 25 says, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling into the presence and to the present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before our ages, now and forevermore. That joy to experience that gives us an incentive to stay in his presence. No longer are we bound by the sin that keeps us out. In Psalms chapter 16, verse 10 through 11, because you did not abandon me in the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful See decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You have filled me with a joy in, in your presence, your eternal pleasure at your right hand. David speaks about how he had to get a clean heart because he realized the sin that was in his heart. And he says in verse 50 or chapter 51 of Psalms, verse 10, it says, Create in me a pure heart, O Lord, renew a steadfast spirit with me. Do not cast me from your presence or take the Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. We have read those words, and I see in that the presence of God, the joy of being in his presence, a spirit that responds and is worship God. Unfortunately, there are those that do not know Christ as the Lord and Savior. Second Thessalonians verse, chapter 1, verse 8 and 10. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be, a punish, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And on the day he comes to glorify his holy people and to be marveled at all and among all who believes, 
This includes you because you believed in a testimony. That is our desire is to experience the holiness of Christ, the presence, that life-giving presence. But we know there are others that have never experienced that. What are we going to do? Are we going to forget them? Are we not going to say to them, there is life in Christ, there is holiness, there is forgiveness? We are called to share the message of Christ, that there is hope. We can't forget others. And that's why we encourage everybody, every single time, as you go from this place, to be encouraged to go out and share the message of Christ to those that you encounter. Because there are people that do not know the joy of being in God's presence, do not know the joy of being cleansed and forgiven of all their sins, to be belonging, to have a almighty, holy, righteous, perfect God attached to them, brought into their presence. That's our desire that we need to, uh, to remind ourselves when we go out from these, day, these doors that there are others that need Christ. And that's why Christ came. That's why we see in the Old Testament and understand and study the tabernacle. It's a, it's a picture of what Christ has done for us when he died on the cross. Mark's going to come and lead us in a song which is a great way to respond. Holiness. What a song that is. So we're going to stand, we're going to sing, and come into his presence. Come and offer this up as an offering of praise to him. So let us stand.